the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 on this wonderful radio station, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. Questions about what we believe as Christians or why we believe it. Uh, Questions, maybe you're struggling with something doctrinally. Uh, maybe there's something going on in your life. It's it's a struggle, and you want some help with that. Three four zero ninety five eighty five is the number to call. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You can also call us toll free if you're out of the local area at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app if you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Well, it's Wednesday. This day has gone so fast for me. It just seems like I've I've been running from the moment I got up this morning. Um, Wednesday is a good day here. 1 Samuel chapter 18 tonight. I'll be teaching uh, at 7 o'clock. And the best thing about Wednesday... Is it Thursday comes next? And Thursday is the date day edition of the program. Ladies, Paula will be live in studio. And uh, if you have any questions or need any encouragement, tomorrow is your day. So we'd love to have you call. One more time with numbers, 340-9585. Here is a question from our mobile app from Rich. He says, how do you define federal headship as in Adam being our federal head? Um, the, the term, the, the doctrinal term simply comes from uh, representation. And because Adam was the first man made directly by the hand of God himself, Adam represents mankind. His name, even rich, means uh, mankind or humankind, uh, Adam. Um, and he is the one through whom the promises of God would be realized or uh, the consequences of the bad choices. Now, we obviously know that in Genesis chapter 3, uh, he made a bad choice and the fall was accomplished and we then inherited our sin nature from him. Now, the really bad news is Adam blew it for all of us. The really good news is there's a second Adam according to Romans chapter 5. And that second Adam is Christ in so much as one man's sin condemned many the sins of many were forgiven by the one man, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life. So that's what it means to be a, uh, the federal head. He's a representative for all mankind. Now, Rich, what this does not mean is that we are punished for Adam's sin or that we have no choice because Adam sinned and we inherited the sin nature that we then are predisposed to sin. It doesn't mean that at all. No one will stand before God and be judged for Adam's sin. No one. We will stand before God and be judged for our own sin, uh, our own behavior, uh, and we will be without excuse. So the fact that he's our federal head simply means that sin nature was passed. That's why no man could be Jesus' father. That's why the Holy Spirit 
uh, is the one who came upon Mary and impregnated her. Um, means that Mary didn't pass on sin nature to the son Jesus. So the first Adam caused the fall of many. The second Adam was responsible for the salvation of any and all who would ask. It's important doctrine. Romans chapter 5. Rich, I hope that answers your question. 340-9585. Here is a question uh, also from our noble app from Nacho. Is the reference of under the earth in Revelation 5.3 and 5.13 a reference to hell? The answer, Nacho, is no, it's not, not specifically. Um, that's just a very Jewish way of saying uh, every created being everywhere. Uh, fallen demons, it, it, uh, uh, angels, uh, mankind fallen or otherwise. Uh, it's just a, 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 a Jewish idiom that passes on the proposition that um, there is no one um, who's ever been created, no angelic being, good or bad, that's ever been created that isn't responsible to God. Romans chapter 5, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5 um, uh, is obviously uh, where the book of Revelation takes a turn. We, the scene shifts from earth, chapters 2 and 3, to heaven. John's caught up in the spirit on, on the Lord, saying he sees sort of what's going on. Chapters 4 and 5, he sees what's going on in the spiritual realm. And then it comes, focuses in chapter 6, back to earth, where the judgments uh, of God begin to be poured out in what we would call the Great Tribulation. Let me take, because I've got that question, let me take another question very quickly that uh, was sent in to us. Um, that's kind of along the same thing. Um, i got to find it here. I'll find it. I promise I'll find it. Uh, this was a question sent by uh, Matthew, and he asked about the upcoming eclipse um, that is coming, and uh, here's what he said. Um, Are you concerned or as Christians, should we be concerned about all of the signs uh, in the heavens uh, with regard to this upcoming eclipse? In other words, could this possibly be the end of the world, and should we be worried about it? Um, I said it was from Matthew. It's from Randy. Randy, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, the answer is no, we shouldn't be worried about the upcoming eclipse because the upcoming eclipse is just that, it's an eclipse. It has nothing whatsoever, uh, Randy, to do with our Bible. Paul and I were driving home from someplace today and uh, another Bible answer show was on the radio. Uh, was uh, I got a question about the same kind of thing and uh, I, I was fairly confident what answer that uh, this particular host would give. And he was he was right. There's there's this has nothing to do with with true understanding of prophecy or the Bible. Here's something I hope we can all remember. When the signs and the wonders that are associated with Jesus' second coming, when those signs and wonders occur, please hear this, we who are Christians won't be here. Those are I all signs and wonders. Uh, that will be pointing to the second coming of our Jesus. Um, signs in the sky, the whole world will see. Uh, the blood, moon, and the, 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 the stars being darkened out. Uh, Joel, Isaiah, and others speak about these things. Uh, those are all signs, Randy, that we'll never see because we'll be with Jesus. You see, the Great Tribulation is that seven-year period of time, the 70th week of Daniel, um, which is the precursor to the return of Jesus at the end of those seven years. When Jesus sets foot on the Mount of Olives, it splits in two. He destroys his enemies with the, the sword from his mouth, uh, and, and justice then will be restored. He comes to judge the world. It's called the great and terrible day of the wrath of God, or the terrible day of the Lord, or the great day of the Lord, the time of Jacob's trouble or distress. All of that is pointing to that one moment when Jesus returns. In Revelation chapter 19, we'll be with him when he comes to do that because we will have been with him. 
So the Great Tribulation has nothing whatsoever to do, has no effect or impact at all on Christians, simply because we will have been raptured out before that happens. So all of these phony signs and wonders, and this really matters a great deal. People are making a lot of money. People are spending a lot of money on these books and videos and and, and uh, this sort of crazy hyperbole, uh, all because it works. They make money. Instead, if we just knew our eschatology, if we knew what the Bible really teaches, we wouldn't get caught up in these kinds of issues. It's very important that we don't get trapped simply because we're too lazy to read our Bibles. Um, Nothing is going to happen on uh, the 23rd. There will be an eclipse. And when the eclipse happens, don't look at it without approved glasses to be sure. But uh, on the 24th, we will all get up and we will do as we have always done assuming that the Lord doesn't come between now and then for His church. But remember, remember this. Randy Christians will not be here. So none of those signs, one, we won't see them. And secondly, we certainly don't need to be afraid of them. So I hope that answers your questions. And I'm sorry that I called you by the wrong name. Oh, well. Here is a question. Oh, we got Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, hi. Hi, that was really quick. Uh, yes, um... I've been reading John chapter 14. I'm, I know you're familiar with it. I mean, who isn't really? But, it, you know, how the Father, you know, to know me or to know the Father is to know me. And it seems like in a way, I mean, I know it's not, but it seems like he's a father talking about his own son. You know, Jesus is talking about his own son. And a father to know the Father is to know the son or or to know the son is to know the father so if you have a good son you have a great father i don't it's really confusing i wish i could make more sense out of it well Uh, i I think i I think i get the question yeah okay you get the idea okay thank you very much Uh, yeah thank you harold it's if you if you understand the, the proper context jesus is simply saying and he says it in several places uh, throughout the new testament but he's simply saying that to know him is to know the father and and you can't know the father except through the source which is the son so he's talking about the unity in heaven he and the father are one he prays that we will be one as he and the father are one and when we want to know the father he says if you know me you know the father already so in other words By knowing Jesus, we know the Father. We cannot know the Father without knowing Jesus. This isn't about a father talking about his son or a son talking about his father. He's simply saying that I am God. And this is something, Harold, I think that's hard for some of us to understand. Um, The the, the unity in in the Godhead, in in this glorious doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, three distinct persons, but one God, Father, completely God. Son, completely God. Holy Spirit, completely God. All with the same attributes, the same power. All they have is different roles. And so, for example, when Jesus was telling his disciples uh, that, that he is going to leave them, um, Philip comes up with this question, well, well, Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And he said this, don't you know, Philip, after I've been with you so long that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's how one they are. That's the unity in the Godhead. There's no division. There's no jealousy. There's no arguing uh, about which role or which position each of the persons of the Trinity have. So it's one God, distinct three persons, but one God. That's really important. You know, I have people, Harold, that'll say things like, well, one plus one is three, and you're trying to make one plus one plus one equal one. Well, I always try to make them think differently. One times one times one is what? It's one. And that's this trinity that we have. And yes, it's a mystery. And yes, it's hard to understand. But it, it speaks to the infinite nature of our God. So when the Father is saying... Uh, the Son is the only way to know me. And the Son is saying, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. He's simply saying what Jesus said over and over, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus, we're told, is the exact image, the icon of the Father. Now, we know the Father's spirit. He doesn't have a, a physical corporeal body. But if the Father could look in a mirror, the image we'd see is Jesus. Jesus had to become a man in order to reveal the Father because there's no way we could relate to the Father. And Harold, one of the reasons that I tell people to focus on Jesus so much is because he is the revelation of the Father, just as the Spirit is given to us, not to entertain us, but to reveal Jesus. So Jesus is sort of the focal point from heaven's perspective. This is how man gets to know Jesus. So when you have a, a relationship, when you're always talking about God or, or, or some other term, to describe God, uh, it, it's much more effective to be very specific. It's Jesus. He has a name. His name is Jesus. So, Harold, I hope that helps. Read the first chapter of Colossians and read the first chapter of Hebrews, and uh, and perhaps that will sort of give you the picture, doctrinally, of what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about his unity. Thank you, Harold. Let's go to Live Oak now and talk with Kelly on line one. Kelly, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi. I have a question. Oh, my question is, um, on Sunday you stated that God is a now God, that he deals with us in the present. Um, so is it wrong for Christians to pray in anticipation for something or, like, say, if you have um, an important event coming up or an important, uh, like, a doctor's appointment or something in that area, is it okay to pray in anticipation, or should we just wait for that, you know, until we are upon that time to start praying for that matter? And I'll take your answer off the head. Thank you, Kelly. Good question. I wish I'd have been a little bit more detailed in my application of that uh, this past Sunday. God is a now God, and what I meant by that, when Jesus... um, when Moses asked Jesus, who should I say sent me? He said, I am. He didn't say I will be or, or or I was. He said, I am. He's always in the present. However, when we're not to worry about things in the future, uh, he says, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Today is enough of its own to worry about. There's certainly we can pray for things. And what we're praying for, let's say if you got a, uh, an appointment, as you, you indicated, you want it to go well, whether it's a doctor's appointment, a job interview, or anything like that. The way to pray in the now, because this is something you're worried about now. It's not needlessly worrying about something in the future, but what you do is you pray, Lord, prepare me for that. Lord, uh, I'm going to the doctor, or I'm going to this job interview, or I'm going to meet this person on this day, and I want to be able to honor you and glorify you uh, at that very moment. I pray, if it's a doctor, for example, Kelly, I pray that everything is going to be okay. I had a doctor's appointment today, and that was my prayer. I pray that everything will be okay, Lord. There'll be no problem. And, and so I was, I've was. i been praying for that. That's not living in the future. That's simply taking something that uh, is a legitimate concern, and by praying about it, you're leaving it in the hands of God. So when I say that God is a now God, and he always is, um, it doesn't mean that we can't pray for things in the future. It just means that we needn't worry or be burdened by those things in the future um, because God's got all of that uh, in his control. He knows the end from the beginning. We don't. So the way to deal with something that's coming up tomorrow is to be with Jesus today. And I really hope, Kelly, not just to you, but to everybody, that makes sense. The things we worry about in the future, the best way to be prepared for those things when the future actually arrives, when the future is today, is to wherever you are, be with Jesus today. And if you're with Jesus today, then he will prepare you. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He will prepare you for the things. So it's certainly there's nothing wrong with praying about something that you've got coming up on your schedule. Um, you simply don't want to worry about it. You don't want it to overwhelm you. Um, He'll be there with you. Walk with him today. Um, When that appointment comes, you'll find that he's walking right with you into that appointment as well. That's really important. Now, one thing I do want to to stress, and and I know Kelly understood this because she obviously was here on Sunday. But what what occasioned me talking about this is Romans 8.1 where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the context of the message was, 
if there is right now where you are no condemnation, why do so many of us do guilt so well? That's really important. Why do we do guilt if we're not condemned? If we know we're not condemned, why do we beat ourselves up? Why do we feel guilty? Why do we keep saying, I'm sorry, God, for the same sins over and over and over? All we have to do is repent of our sin, agree with God about our sin, and First John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the fact of no condemnation is met by the, the, the reality of God's forgiveness, God's cleansing power. So that was the context of the now. Um, but the principle, Kelly, as you indicated, uh, works for things coming up in the future. Pray for those things. Be ready for those things. Just don't worry about those things. I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or uh, toll-free um, 380-5757, actually 877-380-KSLR. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to give Paula's phone number over the air again. Her phone number is almost the same. It's 380-5757, 380-KSLR. Uh, here's a question that came into the studio call just now, anonymous. Pastor Ron, what are your thoughts on the events that happened over the weekend in Charlottesville? How do you feel about President Trump's response? Uh, I've got two. That's one that just came in. I've got another President Trump question. Um, So let me put them together. Um, I don't know why I can't see anything today. I'm not finding the other question. I'll get to it eventually. Um, How do I feel about the events, or what are the thoughts that happened in Charlottesville? Sin is sin. Um, You know, I I think I understand what the president was trying to say, Um, but it doesn't matter where our heart is, it doesn't matter what we're trying to say. he needed to respond very directly, uh, without hesitation, uh, with no loopholes. Uh, a young woman lost her life. Uh, a young woman lost her life in Charlottesville because of the hatred and anger of many. Um, here at Calvary Chapel, I tell our people all the time, if you're a Christian, it's simply impossible to be prejudiced against any group of people for whom God died, and he died for the world. Uh, we don't look at people from the perspective of race or nationality, uh, background, economic or otherwise. We look at two groups of people. That's all that God recognized, saved and unsaved. And what you saw in Charlottesville was a result of what happens when unsaved people are, are inflamed with passion and anger. It's white nationalist groups, KKK, the neo-Nazis, they are pure evil, pure hatred, inspired by, empowered by the devil himself. It's the reason that there's so much anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish sentiment in our world. The devil hates Jews. When we give ourselves over to these kind of things, we're going to do unbelievably wicked things. And that's what happened in Charlottesville, and it's a tragedy. Trump's response was measured. Uh, I think what we have is a president who doesn't think a whole lot before he responds to things. I don't think he ever has understood and probably never will understand the magnitude of the scrutiny that his life is under, especially when everybody, at least the large segment of our population, including the media, is looking for him to make a mistake and finding fault in everything that he says and does. So I think his response was measured, too measured. I think his response was inadequate. I think any time that we who are Christians uh, see evil, we need to condemn it and we need to do so um, quickly. Um, But we need to do that from every perspective. So yes, what happened in Charlottesville was a tragedy. I'm afraid that it will be a tragedy how we overreact and and respond to tragedies like that because we're living in a time where things are going to get worse, they're not going to get better. 
so our president uh, did not do well. I found the other Trump question. It said, why would any Christian ever support Trump after the things he has said and done? I think, and this is anonymous, anonymous, I think we have to to um, remember that when we vote for a president, we only have two choices. And the people that voted for Trump did so because they were tired of the previous eight years. I personally believe, and I, I don't want to get political, but I believe that our country in the eight years of President Obama spiraled morally to a point that that we probably wouldn't have got to for 20, 30 years in the future, except we had this leader of our nation who was really taking down all the moral barriers. We continue killing babies. Now we've decided that we're going to rebel against God's position on homosexuality and, and even on marriage. And the result is, well, the result is a lot of pain in the world. I'm going to come back to this for just a couple of minutes before we go to other questions. We'd love to have your live calls in the second half of the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Not 83, as I said before, 630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back we've got 30 minutes left in the program and we would love your live calls at 340-9585 let me finish very quickly and then hopefully we won't get any more trump questions you know when the election was going on uh, it was very difficult. Um, for, for, for a Christian, we, we've got a man who, um, at least ostensibly as a Republican, represents uh, or is supposed to represent a lot of our values when it comes to, to moral issues. Uh, and yet his own life is filled with immorality. Uh, he is thoughtless and, and difficult and... Um, He's frankly, uh, at times, embarrassing. Yet he is our president now. And people that voted for him voted for him because they figured that he was by far um, the lesser of the two evils. Uh, That's what our political system produces. Uh, Who best represents your viewpoint um, in in issues of uh, morality? And in, in this particular case, Trump won, and we're stuck with him. Now, here's the, 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 the thing that we have to do as Christians. Just because we voted for him, we don't have to always be running to his defense. We need to respect him because he is our president. We need to pray for him because he's our president. He needs to get saved. We need to pray that he is. But the problem is when he does things or says things that are so painful, a, a president who seems to be... Um, intent on disrespecting the office, turning it into sort of tweet central. Um, We need to pray for him, but we don't need to defend his bad behavior. And frankly, a lot of us as Christians, we look foolish to the world around us when we overlook his faults, when we overlook his lifestyle, when we overlook the the excesses, um, whether it's... um, uh, firing people after he just hired them. Uh, I mean, to the world, it looks like this is a White House that's completely out of control. There's no defense for that. So just because you voted for him, don't get trapped into defending him. It doesn't mean you have to speak ill of him. Certainly, we shouldn't do that. But we have to be honest enough to say, you know, this is wrong. This is not the kind of behavior. And in Charlottesville, uh, his response, as I said, was too measured. I think that was a, a good description. His response was too measured. Uh, he doesn't want to condemn um, people that um, probably voted for him. At the same time, he's not responsible for their behavior. 
And what he needs to do, what all of us as Christians need to do, is we need to be able to say there is never any excuse for violence. There's never any excuse for hate. And we who are believers need to be at the forefront of this issue. We need to be reconcilers and not dividers, uniters. And Donald Trump is on the way to becoming perhaps the most polarizing president in my lifetime, and I've been around a while, um, and it's a shame. It didn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Maybe if enough of us would pray for him, the Lord would grab hold of his heart. I hope that makes sense. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here is a question from Devin. Devin says, why don't we see miracles today like Jesus or the apostles did in the Bible? Devin, I think there's uh, two primary reasons. Uh, First, I think uh, we don't see them because uh, we live such compromised lives. You know, the Bible says holiness should be the pursuit of our life, and frankly, we want miracles to happen to us uh, without investing anything first. We, we, We don't want to pursue holiness. We want to live in those gray areas of life, um, and yet we still kind of call on God like he's our heavenly concierge. You know, do this, and why don't you do this? We don't see miracles because we are a compromised church. If you read Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches in, in Asia Minor, uh, there's a lot of criticism that they're, they're, they're conceited, they're, they're not holy, they're compromised, they're uh, doctrinally impure, and, and yet because it represents what we find in our church culture, wouldn't it be kind of nervy to ask God to do miracles? We want God to perform for us Instead of committing our lives to him, he said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we can't do that if we're not concerned about personal holiness. Jesus said that we're to aim for perfection. And I think if we were a church culture focused on holiness, we'd see a lot more of those powerful miracles. That's the first answer. The second answer is... We don't live in a time, and certainly, Devin, in a place where miracles are needed. Now, the whole purpose of a miracle was as a sign gift, a sign pointing to Jesus. Well, we don't need any signs pointing to Jesus in the church in the United States. We have so much information. We hear about him. There are churches on every corner. There's so many opportunities to get to know who he is. He doesn't need to prove himself to us. Now, if you would go to the Middle East where where uh, um, people are often risking their lives to convert to Christianity, you're going to see miracles. If you go to Africa where you see a, a absolute devastation uh, economically and, and in terms of health, um, you're going to see miracles. But here in this country, not so. We don't need the sign that they need in the Middle East or that they need in Africa or in other places of the world. We have Jesus. We need only to open our Bibles and we know who he is. So it's really important that we understand the purpose of miracles is to point to Jesus. Jesus is already front and center in this culture. And you know what our culture has done? Our culture said, no, thank you. I'll take it one step farther, Debbie. You know what a lot of our professing Christian churches have done? They said, well, thank you, Jesus, but we're going to disagree with you on issues of sex and, more, and morality. And, and we, we're, we just believe that we can do what we want. And churches are affirming sinful behavior. And because of that, think about this, because of that, How could a church that disagrees with Jesus have the nerve to ask for a miracle? And yet we do it all the time. People want to go to these crazy charismatic churches. And every time I say that, I remind you that we here at Calvary Chapel are charismatic in our doctrine. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that they're for today and that we're to operate in those gifts of the Spirit. But how in the world can anybody expect a miracle when their heart isn't completely committed to Jesus? In fact, Jesus said an evil evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders. So, holiness, commitment, 
those are the two primary reasons, Devin. The greatest miracle in my life is that moment when I fell on my face in 1991 when Jesus came into my heart and changed my life forever and ever. So I hope that is at least some kind of an explanation for you, Devin. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Art. I like this question, Art. You're a thinker. Art says, since man fell once in a perfect world, how can we be sure we won't fall again in the new heaven and the new earth? Um, The reason that we can be sure is because we will be like Jesus. What it is that we will be, we don't yet know, but when he appears, we know that we will be like him, John says. And how's Jesus? He's light. In him is light. There's no darkness at all. We'll be like him. What it means is that with our new bodies equipped for heaven, that'll take place at the rapture of the church or or when we die naturally, natural causes and, and go to heaven. We exchange these old, worn-out bodies where we're struggling with sin, struggling with flesh and temptation. We exchange them for bodies like his. No sin nature. Uh, imagine um, being tempted to do something that disgusts you. Well, that's what sin was like for Jesus. It's what it'll be like for us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So when we get to be with him, Art, we have no chance of falling, no chance of sinning, because we'll be just like the one we love, who happens also to be the one who loves us. So there's no way, nothing unclean or impure will enter heaven, we're told. We will be righteous, practically, not just positionally as we are now. So when Jesus transforms us to be like him, that's when our struggle with sin is going to be done. And Art, it's one of the reasons I'm so anxious for Jesus to come. I'm tired of struggling with things in this body. I'm tired as a pastor. It's hard to imagine. You know, um, a lot of times people have the image of a pastor as somebody who works one day a week and talks for 40 minutes or 45 minutes. Uh, The amount of heartbreak that we who are pastors deal with is overwhelming. And the people who are hurting, even if they're self-inflicted wounds, because God has given us his heart, I love them. I want them to be done with the struggle. And when we get to heaven, we'll be done with the struggle to be sure. I can't wait for that moment. Art, good question. Keep thinking. Let's go to James calling online. One, James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, Ron, I just have a comment. I was listening on the way home, and you were talking about Mr. Trump. And uh, he's supposedly a new Christian. And so uh, I'm embarrassed by him sometimes, too. But the point is, is uh, when he made the statement at that time, there was no um, proof on who was driving the car that killed the young lady. So he didn't just come out and do that. And he did directly say, but he directly said both sides without calling out each side. And just as you made the statement that you made, you called out the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis and things, and that's fine because they're all wrong, and they are definitely a minority, but they're all evil and wrong. But also, you didn't say anything about Antifa, the other side. And I know it's not that you're saying that what they did was okay. They went there to start this, and that was part of what it is. But you're right in the uh, part where it's the evil and it's Satan, and most of this is being... Uh, instigated by a man called George Soros, who's funding both sides, the white supremacist, who he really is, that's who he is, he's an ex-Nazi, and he's also paying these people to do this to try to start a civil war within the states, and he's doing a good job. But I just wanted okay, to point James, out that as yeah, Trump... I'm going I'm uh, to stop you, it, because when, when we throw out words like Nazis and things like that, we're... we're we're, we're speaking uh, despairingly of somebody for whom Jesus died, and that is beneath us. So thank you for your call. I'll comment on it uh, briefly. But, um, you know, we have to be careful 
uh, of of what our influence is. What I said earlier was that uh, on both sides of those issues were unsaved people. Necessarily, that means people condemned to hell. Um, um, the protesters responding to the KKK and to the neo-Nazis, the white supremacist movement, um, uh, that was bound to happen. Um, you, you don't schedule a Nazi rally. You don't schedule uh, uh, um, a, a fascist <laughs> rally. Uh, you just don't do those things because you know you're going to get uh, those inflamed passions. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it makes no sense. There's no value in saying who is more wrong, which group of sinners is more wrong. Um, here's what I can tell you is that one was in response to the other. Uh, the initiators were those who were the white supremacists. Uh, we are uh, living in a country that is polarized and divided as never before racially. Um, you know, we, we thought... Uh, at least much of the world thought eight years ago, or now more than eight years ago, when uh, President Obama was elected, that we would finally have an opportunity to reconcile uh, the, the, the divisions between the races, and they've only been more and more inflamed. And what we've got to realize as Christians, James, is that this is the time that Paul said we would be living in. And it doesn't matter whether you're on one side or the other in Charlottesville. Um, the enemy's the one who's pulling the strings. But to have somebody, and I won't allow it any longer, to have somebody on this program just repeat um, hard-right propaganda about Soros. He is obviously a very, very wealthy man, and and he has been uh, bankrolling what we would call leftist causes for for a very, very long time. Uh, When you get into the point of of conjecture and personal um, um, destruction uh, of a man's character like that, that is ungodly. And James, I would call you and anybody else who talks like that or who's reading um, the the propaganda from the right or the propaganda from the left, um, you know, we need to repent. Um, what, what you ought to be doing if you think that about uh, Mr. Soros is be pray for him. You have no, you're in no position to talk about him uh, unless you have already spoken on his behalf before God. Um, and we who are Christians, we're better than that. We're better than that. So yes, it was a mess. Yes, a young lady lost her life. But what was required from the head of our government at that moment was a strong, clear, loud voice against extremism and especially hateful, bigoted extremism. And that's what the people want and that's what they need. It's what they expect from our leader. And we didn't get that. Now, we got it the next day. But see, our problem is we got a president who doesn't listen to his advisors. He's got capable men around him. We've got a president who does what seems right to him. And because a bunch of evangelicals have sort of passed along word that that uh, Donald Trump said the sinner's prayer when they were there and he was seeking the vote of the evangelicals, uh, we need to be really, really careful about saying he's a Christian because there hasn't been any evidence at all of a change of heart. And being a Christian, you're not a Christian because you say you are. You're a Christian because Jesus lives in you. And when he lives in you, you change. And my prayers for our president is that he will change. My prayers for our president is that he he, he truly is saved or will be saved. But in the meantime, uh, I'd like to see him acting as a representative of the 300 million people from all walks of life in this country, and he's simply not done that. From a just an efficiency point of view, I was a businessman before I got saved, and and if you don't run uh, things efficiently, they get out of control, and we have an out of control uh, White House, and uh, the damage it's going to be done um, in future elections as a result of what this man's destroying is going to be overwhelming to us. I am a very conservative 
politically speaking person. Um, there's no way I could have voted for the other candidate. Um, but this president has let a lot of people down with his behavior. And we who voted for him need to be honest enough to say that without saying, yeah, but the other side's just as bad. And that's, that's, what, that's what unsaved people with political perspectives do. We who are believers need not do that. We need to be fair, fair-minded and fair-hearted. 340-9585, if anybody was offended by the Nazi comments about uh, Mr. Soros, I apologize. Um, I don't have a cutoff button here uh, in the studio. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anonymous. It says, I just started attending a new church and wanted to serve, but they told me I had to wait six months to serve. Is that standard? Uh, anonymous, I don't. I wouldn't say that it's standard, but it's certainly not uncommon at all. Uh, it always uh, kind of tickles me. You've got churches that are all the time saying, we can't get anybody to serve when somebody comes in and serves. They say, well, hey, nice to meet you, but you got to wait six months. It makes no sense to me, I can tell you that. Uh, some of my Calvary Chapel pastor uh, colleagues uh, have that same sort of policy. Well, no, you got to just sit around, let us get to know you, and you get to know us kind of thing. And I understand the logic behind it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done um, for somebody who's new to the church that we don't know very well yet without putting others in harm. Now, I'm not going to let anybody who's new uh, lead worship or lead a prayer group or or teach a Bible study. I need to know their heart. I need to know that their heart and my heart are are are, are simpatico in these areas of doctrine and, and, and love. Um, I'm not going to give anybody a position of influence until I know that they are worthy, until they've been tested. Verse Corinthians 4, 2 says, Every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. It takes some time to prove faithful. At the same time, uh, there's a lot of things they can do. Uh, we've got cleaning crews. We've got uh, uh, building crews, uh, construction crews. We've got usher ministries. Um, there's just all kinds of things that can be done. And I believe that everybody who comes to church needs to get busy serving right away. And um, that's what God would want them to do. Uh, John 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, including his betrayer. Um, and he said, do this uh, because you have seen me do it. And he didn't mean washing feet, he meant serving. So we need to do that. Um but at the same time, I think we have to, to, to use good common sense. And if somebody wants to serve, we're going to find a place for them to serve. Uh, let me give you just a couple of examples. And, and, and I love this. Uh, starting last week, and now it'll be going on throughout the whole school year, uh, every Sunday after third service, we have to set this, what's a church, into a school. And, and it requires a lot of manpower. There's a lot of moving. Um, and, and we have a, a setup crew. Uh, if somebody comes in and says, I want to serve, I'm going to say, hey, great. These guys are, are putting our school back together. Just ask them what to do, where to take things, and they'll tell you what to do, and you can join them. Uh, we have, uh, uh, that's going to be a need every Sunday after church, but it's also a need every Wednesday night after church because Thursday is going to be school uh, as well. So there's, there's a bunch of things that you can do, and a lot of times when people are serving in those kinds of areas, then what we have is an opportunity to watch their attitude, to watch their heart, not in a snoopy, sneaky way, but just we get to see the, the depth of their relationship with the Lord. We get to get to, to know people, uh, and, and it's really, really a great opportunity. So everybody ought to be serving all the time. Find a church where you can serve. You don't need to wait uh, for six months. Uh, Troy on line one. Troy, we've got a couple of minutes. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, how you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, quick question is is Raul Reese um still scheduled to come um sit in and, and chat with you and Paula in October? And if so, um what week is that or what day and can we call into the show? Uh yeah, you will be able to call in the show and yes, he is scheduled. Uh, and I'm embarrassed, Troy, that I don't know uh, what date it is, but I will get with the studio uh, and and ask them uh, to confirm the date, and I'll get it to you on tomorrow's program. Uh, yes, he will be in uh, with us. Rawl is a friend, 
uh, and uh, his wife Sharon it won't be here with him then, but she's been at our church and spoken. Uh, her and Paula are close. So, uh, yeah, he you'll be able to call and ask him questions. And he's also going to be here uh, that night uh, here at Calvary Chapel to uh, for a meet and greet with his radio listeners. So uh, we've got limited space. So uh, plan on being here that night at seven o'clock, uh, and he'll be uh, um, ministering to uh, to his radio listeners. And of course, there'll be some people here from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio as well. But uh, Troy, I will write in a note to myself now, and I will get that date for you tomorrow. But it is in October, so it's coming up pretty soon. He's going to be out here speaking to pastors during the KSLR Pastor Appreciation Luncheon, and we're thrilled to have him. Uh, Great guy. Great guy. And talk about a servant's heart. So I'll get that information to you on tomorrow's program. I can't believe I can't remember the date. I think it's the 13th, but I'm not sure. I'll get it. Rather than speculate, I'll get it for you next time. Let's see if I have a very quick question. We're inside. uh, We're about just about a minute now. Um... Here's one I can do real quickly. Dell wants to know, does the NIV and other newer translations take verses or words out of the Bible? Uh, Dell, they do not. They do not. You know, the, the King James only guys that say, well, you know, they're taking stuff out. They're not. It's down at the bottom. They're simply translating a different set of manuscripts. And, and what they're translating it doesn't include that, but they always make a note that other translations say, and they put it out, if they were trying to hide it, if they were trying to take something away, there's no conspiracy here, uh, then um, uh, we could say they were trying to take it out. But, but if they put it in there to show you what other manuscripts say or other translations say, uh, that should be proof enough that they're not trying to hide anything or take anything out. So no, they don't take anything out. Um, they don't edit uh, for some conspiracy reason. Um, they're just translating a completely different set of manuscripts. Maybe, Dell, I'll touch on this a little bit more deeply uh, tomorrow's program, or Friday's program, probably. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Remember, ladies, Paula tomorrow on the date-day edition of the program. And tonight, I'm going to be teaching for Samuel 18. You can go to calvarysa.com and watch it live stream. See you tomorrow at 4. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.